Success on Demand is like this dope sisterhood of strong, ambitious women who love business but crave success. We come together and talk self-improvement, goals, and even life stories. And more than anything, we're a part of a community for us and by us. Let's have Boss Talk. What's good, you guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to Success On Demand. We have a very special guest on the show, and I know you guys are familiar with her work and her book and just the platform that she's built. And I'm super excited to be able to have this conversation with her and just have a a look into, you know, a different perception of natural hair and natural curly hair. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Michelle Breyer, and I'll give her a moment to say a few things about herself, and then we'll jump right into the interview. Hey, um, I'm so honored to be here today. Uh, My name is Michelle Breyer, and I'm co-founder of NaturallyCurly.com, which we started 19 years ago because of our own frustrations with our hair. Um, Started it as a hobby, and it has grown into a uh, multi-million dollar business, and we now have a market insights department and e-commerce department. But the uh, main site is Naturally Curly, and we still have a community of several million people who come there to be inspired, empowered, and to find out how to kind of work with their hair. (laughs) And I just, actually, you guys, right before we started recording, I told Michelle I was going to be doing my hair for hours, okay? So it it does take some, some researching to do, and I think women coming together to share what they do helps other women to figure out how to deal with their curly hair. (laughs) And it's a constant process. It is a constant process. In fact, we just uh, came out with some new stats. And even if you found your Holy Grail products, almost half of you are still looking for something better, um, which doesn't surprise me being one of those people. So, Um, but I think for my straight haired friends are probably kind of, kind of like, what, what the heck? I think with everyone having so many different kinds and varieties of textures, we're all just like, you know, how can I get more moisture? How can I get more of this? How can I get more slippage? You know, it just, it depends on, you know, what everyone is looking for. So I definitely agree with that. And I wanted to have you tell us about your humble beginnings. Like what gave you the the inspiration to do what you're doing now and how did it begin? Um, I think, um, I was lucky that I was really naive, actually. I I was a business reporter at the newspaper here. I had been a a journalist my whole career, and I covered a lot of entrepreneurs. But I don't think I really understood what it took to be an entrepreneur. Like, I didn't understand just kind of what a leap of faith it was. Um, But, you know, I did know the topic of curly hair because I had been frustrated my whole life. I could never find anybody who knew how to cut it until now I'm actually getting my hair cut as we're speaking. Um, And I couldn't find products because they didn't exist. And you never saw curly uh, models or musicians or anybody that showed you that that was acceptable to have curly hair. So when we started a conversation at a party about our hair, which was something we did um, all the time, actually, which is pretty pathetic. Um, somebody overheard us and, and thought that it was crazy that a group of women could 
sit there for 45 minutes and talk about their hair and asked us, you know, like, I do you guys talk about your hair a lot? And yes, we do. And, and he thought it would be great to start like a blog or a, a website or a magazine. And this was um, 1998. So there really wasn't a blogosphere then. There was no YouTube. Um, Google was just getting started. I mean, it was a long time ago. So when we started it, we started it as a hobby. We did not have a business plan because we didn't think it was a business. We thought of it as something that we wanted to create for people like us. And maybe we'd sell some t-shirts, but it was never anything that we thought of in terms of um, how do we make money off it. And I actually think that was uh, actually the best way we could have gone into it because we built a community who trusted us and they trusted us um, to get information and they didn't feel sold to. So the community grew and grew. And then at some point it became very natural that they wanted to buy some of the products that they were hearing about and that they wanted to hear about, you know, new brands coming out with products. So the business plan grew out of, you know, kind of this, uh, this altruistic hobby that we created. Oh my gosh. And I can't believe you said 19 years ago. Like 19 years ago, the, the number one question I had for you was, was there a space for women to talk about hair? And you, you answered that in your first question. So what I really like to know is how did you all grow? Was it mostly word of mouth? Because I know Instagram and all that stuff wasn't around then. How did you guys get the word out about what you were doing? Well, you know, it helped being a, a newspaper reporter because I kind of understood the whole nature of public relations, um, you know, kind of I knew the types of things that got people's attention. I kind of knew that having a curly website was something really weird and different because the response I would get from people when I would tell them about it was just kind of, you know, eye rolls and like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding. So I knew that might make a good article for people so I just started I started pitching to people like I pitched people magazine and we actually got a story in people magazine in 1999 wow. um and I just you know I looked at it like I would look at any business story and so we got a lot of press but the bigger thing was we got a lot of people on the site who told other people because mm. you know it really grew because of word of mouth um and then we, you know, I was lucky that my co-founder understood search engines and search engines were much different back then, but she understood like how to get us into search engines. So even oh. to this day, if you type up curly hair, we come up first. And I think that was really important. So a lot of people didn't even know to look for curly hair or that they could go online and find stuff. But if they did go look, they would find us. So... Yeah, it was kind of a combination of things, but very grassroots. We didn't spend a lot of money, um, you know, on marketing for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I really don't think we even knew that we had something uh, that was going to be valuable. Um, we knew it was valuable to us, and we knew it was valuable to the people who were on the site. Um, about three years into it, we got a... I got a call on my answering machine at home from Procter & Gamble um, wow. that they were launching a new product for curly hair. They come across our site. Um, could they advertise on our site? And the amount of money they wanted to advertise for, I mean, I just nearly fell over. So that's <laughs> when you're know, like, wow, people want to pay us to advertise on our site. So that's when I really kind of, I think the light bulb kind of went off for all of us that, you know, this really could be a business. 
And that makes it so authentic. I think when you take money out of the mix and you just do, you know, what you're you're really interested in and a lot of people say passionate about, I think that 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 leaves it open for whatever opportunities to come to you rather than being like, "Oh, I need to do this because we need to make this much money or, you know, whatever the case may be." I think that that made it very authentic that you guys were just, you know, very passionate and interested in hair. And that brought those companies to you guys. So I think that'll inspire a lot of people who are like, you know, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't well, know how to make it valuable. <laughs> well, and it, I think um, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with a, a guy on a plane who ended up being an MBA student at Kellogg wow. at uh, Northwestern. And he heard the story. and He's like, I want you to come talk to my entrepreneurship class because he said his you know, MBA students were so kind of almost cocky. They're like, oh, well, I know all this stuff so I can start a successful business. And I'm, and then when you would ask them, like, what do you, what do you want to do? It's like, they just want to make a lot of money and they didn't understand the concept of, like, you have to have a real need. You have to have, you know, like there's people who talk about the why. Why are you doing this? Who is your customer? Like, what is the point? Do you care about this at all? And that seemed to be lost in a lot of these um, students who just thought, okay, I'll start a business. I'll make it successful because I'm so smart. So, um, you know, you, you have to care about it. I definitely agree. And the, you just reminded me when I was in school <laughs> getting my degree for business, my, one of the main questions that my teacher asked me was, what problem are you solving? And if we couldn't, you know, express a problem that we wanted to solve by having our business, she'd say, well, then you won't be around long. <laughs> and it was harsh, but it really helped to not have us make up these businesses that we thought were, you know, cool because we buy the product, but the rest of the world is like, you know, we don't need that. Well, and sometimes it, because you would buy it is enough and it's finding the other people who are like you and there may be a lot of them out there because I, I don't want people to think that everybody has to think your idea is a great idea because a lot of times, I mean, I'd say 90% of the people I talk to about our idea is a really bad idea. <laughs> like, they thought, I mean, why would we limit it to curly hair? Like, that's stupid. Um, well, it's like what we know and it's also something that's like ignored so there's a need for it. You know, like there's a lot of businesses like that where not everyone might not understand the reason for it but those who understand it are really passionate about it mm -hmm. and I think that creates those um, niche markets where people are able to find their tribe who wants to support yes. whatever it is they're doing so I, I definitely agree with that and I know you mentioned that um, you guys had someone who was on your team who was good with search engines but outside of that, had you guys had any background in business? Did you know about, you know, reaching out to anyone or did all that just come along the way? Well, it kind of came along the way, but I think I was lucky. Um, I was a business reporter and so I had a lot of sources at the newspaper mm -hmm. who, you know, and one in particular was like instrumental for us. Um, he was the guy you would call every quarter to talk about um, how much were venture capitalists investing in Austin businesses and how was the economy and he was the found his name is Jimmy Trabig and he's the founder of Tandem Computers and he sold it to Compaq for like two billion dollars. Wow. And he um, liked to help entrepreneurs. Like he felt like that was his way of giving back. And so I heard he liked, you know, like he was willing to meet with people. So my business partner and I um, set up a meeting with him at the local IHOP. 
and <laughs> this was pretty early on and he I, I, like I think his eyes like glazed over and he was kind of like well keep keep in touch let me know how you're doing <laughs> like, like let me know how your sales are and, and we did and it's like our sales kept doubling and we would get these you know suddenly we we're getting these bigger advertising contracts and he became more interested and for him he was just learning about social media wow. and he knew you know like he knew software and he knew you know high tech like you know he was an expert on that but he wanted to know about you know communities and social media so he like volunteered to help us because he felt like it was a great way to learn about this you know emerging you know industry and so he started having meetings with us where we would go to his boardroom and he would how are you going to get to a million dollars and how are you going to like I mean just got us starting you know thinking bigger and bigger and he was involved with the local um, angel network and uh, that was just starting out in Austin and he encouraged us to to apply to do a presentation and we got selected to do a presentation and um, we were one of four companies you know the first four companies to present and it was like my business partner and I and then like three very high-tech traditional companies you know um, men in suits and we were the only one to get funded because I think we were able to tell people why this was important and it was different and it was you know like there was enough investors who oh yeah my wife has curly hair and I've seen the struggle she's gone through her whole life or you know my daughters talk about this all the time so we got investment um and Jimmy was like in the back of the room like cheering like he was so <laughs> and then he became he became the chairman of our board and an investor like we were like in every city has these uh mentors and people who want to help you because they feel like they benefited from people who helped them and so they want to pass it on so I, I encourage everybody to um, you know go out there and get involved with you know entrepreneurial groups and startup groups and um, take advantage of those resources because most major cities have them Wow, and I think I've I've heard that once before on one of the other episodes. Someone mentioned the the foundation that does it in their city, and I told myself I'd investigate <laughs> what's the name of them in every state so that I can share that with women in each place because I think that is very important, especially having a mentor that's familiar with what you're trying to do or has a few different resources that you may not know about. I think that that makes it really, really resourceful to small business owners who are just starting up or who just want to grow. So I think mentors are very important. I'm involved with a group here in Austin called Div Inc., which is uh, it's primarily for women and minority-owned businesses starting out, and some of them are just ideas, and some of them are already you know started. And I love working with these these entrepreneurs um you know they have such good ideas and sometimes all they need is someone to kind of help them uh, with networking or to direct them in the right place and you know like i think there's a lot of people out there that can can help you if you if you go out there looking for it i think the big thing is don't pretend like you know it all oh man you definitely just read my mind because i literally was sitting here as you were saying that and i was like you know People will look at success on demand and they'll, you know, think whatever it looks like. 
But in my mind, I was like, you know, maybe you should start letting people know that you want that kind of help, you know? And then right after I thought that you said, it's just letting people know. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. no, and, and I've just been, like I've a group that it was called the Startup Challenge in Louisiana this summer where a whole bunch of entrepreneurs from the South came and they competed to get um, funding. And there was the coolest businesses. Um, one of them was like a network for dancers. One, one of them was a network for people who love cats. I mean, like, and one of them was like a biotech company that's that's found the um, a way to prevent um, sepsis in hospitals. So we're talking like every oh possible gosh. business. And like, I think that there were new companies that were started at this event. Um, and I think that there were companies who were kind of maybe on the brink who maybe uh, got information that may help them really succeed. So it was, it was really, really amazing. So uh, yeah, I, I think getting out there, going to these type of things um, really helps you and it may give you access to capital too. Yes, I agree. And something that you mentioned earlier about when you guys first mentioned to Jimmy what you guys wanted to do. It, it was just a testament to me that you shouldn't take no's as permanent <laughs> because sometimes people will say no to you, but once they see what it really is and where you're going in the vision, I think that oftentimes that no turns around to, okay, you know, let me figure out how I can be a part of this or whatever, you know, the case may be with those kind of situations. But it just reminded me that no isn't always no. Sometimes no is I don't understand. Let me learn more. Or, you know, show me more, like give, I need to see this over time. I mean, in his case, it's like, okay, this is, you know, he, he admits, he was like, oh, this is interesting and different, but I don't really have any kind of sense that this could be a real business. And the fact that we kept coming back to him and we were able to show growth, showed him that we were really committed and that we were on to something. And in, in some cases that could be really motivating for people when somebody says, oh, I, yeah, whatever, stupid idea. It, it should motivate you to kind of prove like actually you're wrong and this is how we are going to make this a successful business. I think, yes. um, you know, you need to be kind of bulletproof. Oh, yes. And that can go into our next question. Um, what are some, well, you don't even have to say some, but how do you guys overcome um, when things don't go the way that you have planned or, or what's something that's happened to you guys that you've had to overcome maybe in the beginning stages of Naturally Girly? Um, I think, you know, there's been some ideas that have kind of fallen flat and it's, you know, maybe we didn't, we didn't kind of back out of them as quickly as possible because I think you can have a lot of ego involved where it's like your idea and you don't want to prove that it's a stupid idea or not, I don't want to say stupid idea but that maybe it wasn't the right idea yeah. so I think you have to kind of be willing to accept that you it, it wasn't a good idea and then also like what did we learn from that or is there something out of that that we might be able to turn in something else I mean I in, in some cases, I think the biggest problem for us has been letting perfect be the enemy of good. Um, <laughs> you know, like we had the idea for um, subscription boxes about seven years ago, and we kept on talking about it because we were doing these sample boxes, we were giving out samples, and and we overthought that one into the ground. Like, oh, well, what about this and what about that? Well, in the meantime, you've got bir birch box and curl box and, you know, you've got a million boxes. It's like, you know, we should have 
being quicker to that one. Um, but it was like trying, analyzing, you know, analysis paralysis is what I like to call it. Um, you know, like you don't want to do something without thinking about it, but you can, you can kill an idea sometimes by kind of overthinking it. Yes. And I, I know that's something that a lot of business owners that I talk to deal with myself included especially when um, your brand is your baby <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. And you end up being so restricted that you're not, you know, taking that leap or that step into that new idea. So I, that definitely resonates with me. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that, um, um, I think that, you know, a lot of times you may just be going on gut and you have to be okay with that because some of the best ideas come on gut, you know, come through just like, I think this is going to be a good idea. And I think you miss out on great opportunities because you, you know, suddenly everything has to have a business plan and everything has to be like overthought. And, um, you know, you should always be willing to take a gut feeling and, and, and go with it. Like, don't get so caught up in, um, you know, it having to be a financial success right off the bat. If, I mean, I, we wouldn't exist if we had had to analyze everything about our business from the beginning. That's why I'm saying, like, it was good that we didn't have a business plan because I think if we had a business plan, that could have prevented us from growing into the company we are because we really had to just kind of go on gut and then we listened to our community and a lot of what we did grew out of what our community wanted and it you know like starting our e-commerce site we were like the first e-commerce site to sell you know a lot of these curl brands well you know i'm sure if we had done an analysis that may have slowed everything down and we may have decided mm -hmm. oh well you know maybe that's not the best way to go or whatever well that e-commerce site really helped us get to the next level so just kind of yeah, and that decision was made like in a two-day period it was really wow. just, a, yeah, it was like, okay, you know, a brand had said, well, you know, we don't have a lot of distribution and people are asking for it on your site. Can you start an e-commerce site? And we were, you know, flexible enough to say, well, yeah, let's try it, you know? And it turned out to be, you know, really pivotal and helping us get to the next level. Did you guys ever worry about like competition or, you know, someone coming in and doing the same thing that you were doing? Or was it mostly just at that time you guys had monopolized, you know, that area of the industry? At that time, there wasn't really anybody doing what we did. Um, there were a couple of like uh, discussion boards, um, but they weren't, you know, kind of fully fleshed websites. There weren't influencers back then. There was no YouTube. Um, so we were kind of the only ones doing it. And we knew just because we had lived it that magazines weren't doing anything on it. You know, obviously <laughs> the world is completely different now. Um, yeah. You know, it is kind of the hot, hot topic. Um, and what we've really tried to do is rather than view all of these influencers and um, you know other publishers publishing information as competition we, we partner with them you know we find ways to share content and to engage some of those influencers and in campaigns that we're doing uh, you know like I think you can't you can't let that that intimidate you and also you have to look at what they're doing and what they might be doing better than you and yes. it just kind of should keep you always on your toes. Yes, I totally agree. 
And with that, because I know you guys um, were, were mostly focused on just like the content part of it and finding those women with stories to share and you know you all sharing your own story but at what point did you decide to expand your team like what prompted that um I think when we started Cromart, it was it had gotten crazy I mean it started <laughs> off with us packing the boxes ourselves mm-hmm. and I would you know drop off boxes at the post office um you know like on my lunch hour and you know, then it got to the point where it was like five bins full of boxes that I was dropping off at the post oh office. Like all the all the people at the post office knew us and they were like kind of rooting us on like, oh my God, look at this. And, you know, we had jobs at the newspaper and we had families and we had this business that was kind of taking over our, our time and it kind of became apparent that um, we were making enough money to support having someone help us and we're going to hold ourselves back if we didn't have someone help us yes and I think that is a a very teachable moment it's sometimes once you you know reach that growth it'll hurt you to not bring someone on to help you out because sometimes you're like oh we can do it we can do it ourselves like we've got it (laughs) and and it ends up not getting the attention it needs right exactly and um you know who you bring on is important. I can't stress that enough because every new person, especially the smaller you are, has a huge impact on your business and your culture. You want to have somebody who, you know, fits in with your culture, who is, um, you know, a team player, who shares your mission. Um, we've made some hires over the years and we've gotten bigger who weren't necessarily the right people for the business. And that can one person it's like when you put dye into water it has an impact on everything so you know making sure that those hires are the right hires is is really important it's very true and I know you mentioned um you all's jobs at the newspaper at what point did you decide that you know all right we can go ahead and let these jobs go and you were comfortable with letting them go it was hard because um, I, I love my job in the newspaper, but I was doing like phone calls in the hallway and I had a young child and I think my husband was like, you know, I mean, it was like 90 hours a week I was working and our revenue had reached a certain point where it could support us doing it on our own. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I think we both said to each other, either we've got to stop this or we've got to do it full time because it wasn't sustainable. She had twins. Oh she my had God. Twins and she had a child my daughter's age. So she had three kids under the age of like four. And it was craziness. And then we had part time jobs and it was just craziness. Of course, like the week, the month that we finally made the decision to leave, um, uh, a whole series of things happened that I would not wish on any entrepreneur. We lost our biggest advertiser. Oh my God. I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and um, our house was robbed. You know, like, so it was just all these things, but like we had to make it work. Like, you had to make it work. Yes, I totally agree. I can't even imagine how you got through that time, <laughs> especially when all of that happens in one week or one month. 
Like it can definitely be overwhelming. And I just talked about that on the, the last podcast that when, you know, you're in the midst of turmoil, you can't lose your cool. No, but that's hard. That can be hard. I mean, I remember being wheeled into uh, the surgery and I was on my phone. They're like, can you put your phone down? And it's like, but I'm doing like we ha- it was with John Paul DeJoria. From, um, <laughs> no, you were not. Oh, my God. Because he was, he had decided he wanted to advertise on our site and was like, it was a really important deal. And I literally, you know, like, it was like, no, I have to make this call. Like, you can wait before you sedate me. (laughs) 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 Like, it was kind of like, okay, you know, the thyroid can wait a few minutes and you gotta, gotta get the deal done. Oh my gosh. And that just shows that. Even if that door wasn't as big as the one that closed, it just shows that something something always comes along. You know, you don't always lose. I, I truly believe that, and I've seen that with so many friends' businesses. Like they may have thought that it was like the darkest day, but out of that came something that was like even better. Yes. So, I, you know, I've always had like the sense every day I wake up and I have the sense of like optimism of what's gonna. Like something new and fun is going to happen every day. Something different, some some opportunity. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of have that crazy optimism. Yeah, and I love that. Have you always had that? Like, were you always such a positive person? I I think I was. Um, and, but I think I've become more that way, and I see how like my coworkers really feed off you. Like, if they see that you're not positive, then that that affects them um but i you know i absolutely like i go into every business meeting just kind of assuming like why wouldn't you want to work with us or not every deal gets done and not everything is like rainbows and sunshine and and unicorns but um i think you open yourself up to more opportunities if you can have that positive attitude Yes, very true. And we're coming to the end of the interview. I'm so happy that you've been answering the questions the way that you have. Um, One of our last questions is, what does one of your days traditionally look like? Like, what what is the routine or the the process that you have in your day? Um, Let's see. God, there is no traditional day, but like a day in the office, I'll go in and I'll you know, go through all my emails and kind of prioritize what I want to do and look at all my meetings. And then kind of, I always give myself time to kind of think of something fun and creative that I want to do. Like yesterday, uh, I really wanted to try to get some media for our insights, like our new research. Mm -hmm. So I just started writing up a press release in the morning and I got like three publications to pick it up. You know, like I, like I, I kind of need that kind of stuff that feeds me, you know, that kind of feeling like I'm having some kind of impact every day. Yes, um, yes. Not every day is like that, but, you know, at least on a typical day, I'll, I'll look through all my emails and I'll try to talk to, to people, you know, coworkers and ask them what's going on, you know, always trying to like figure out if there's some place I can help. Definitely. Um, yeah, yes. but you know, I would say that there is no typical day and 
you want a life with typical days, then you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was very interested to see your answer because I was like, I know that she's super busy. There's never just, oh yeah, I'm gonna have all these one kind of days. Like no, stuff always just comes. No, in fact, today I'm doing this great podcast with you, and as I'm doing it, I'm getting my hair cut <laughs> because I have a um, a book signing this weekend in Baltimore. Oh. So, um, I am a multitasker. I am a, this may be more multitasking than I've done in a long time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it works. I, <laughs> that's why even before, and guys, we've actually done this interview once before, but even before <laughs> when it was in the Burger King, I was like, you know, people need to hear this because the, the lady who worked there, well, they want to let you be great. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's dragging the chair. Like it was all kinds of stuff going on. We loaded that ice machine for like an hour. <laughs> Like literally there was like one customer and she loaded that ice machine. And this is kind of a, well, yeah, typical entrepreneur story. I had to be in Toronto and didn't look at my passport till two days before I needed to leave and realized it had expired. So had to drive to Houston and then had this podcast and needed to find a place to do the podcast. It ended up being a Burger King where um, there was really spotty internet and people who were really um, not loving mm -mm. it. At all, at all. And I was like, at all. What? I, and when you told me what was going on and I heard all the sounds, I was like, we could help her. She may need some natural hair advice. It's like, come on, like, just work with us here. <laughs> like, I didn't understand. Like, she's literally dragging a chair around the entire restaurant just to make noise. This one woman. Yes, and we were gonna, <laughs> we were gonna make it happen. Yes, but this is like, thank God for you, like, like being willing to do this interview again because, um, yeah, I, I appreciate. No, it. I was ready for it because I, I knew, and our conversation was so good, just as it is today. And I was like, there is no way this interview is going up. And I was gonna, I was gonna use that Burger King footage. I was gonna cut it up and make it sound wonderful and beautiful because I, I just couldn't let that go. So I'm happy that we were able, you know, to go ahead and do this interview again too. Every time you're pleasant, so. It's nothing at oh, all. Well, thank you. Thank you. Can I give a, a quick uh, pitch for, for the book? Sure, go ahead. Um, we have a perfect gift for all the curly heads in your life. It's called um, The Curl Revolution, Inspiring Stories and, and Practical Advice from the Naturally Curly Community. And it really is like 19 years worth of great tips and inspiration and photos of some of you know, the top uh, influencers and, and brand entrepreneurs in the space. And um, you can't come away from the book, I don't think, without like kind of feeling inspired about, you know, loving your, your texture. So there's my, there's my, my pitch. <laughs> I meant to tell you this is the beginning of the interview before we start recording, but I'll say it now. Um, I was doing my mom's hair and she's natural. She's been natural for years. And she pulled up her phone to go through her email and you all's um, like monthly or weekly or something email popped up. And I was like, wow. I said, mom, I'm interviewing her. And she's like, what? I'm like, yes, I'm interviewing her. I was like, I cannot believe that you just pulled that up. Not even days before I'm about to interview with her. 
and she was like, yeah, I've been, you know, following her for years, like years on top of years. So when you said that it was, you guys have been doing this for, you know, 18 years, I was like, wow, I wonder how long my mom has been, you know, exposed to you all's brand and what you're doing, because she loves you guys. <laughs> so I know it helps. I love your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and I thought that was so cool that you guys have, you know, stretched to touch so many different women of different hair textures who can be just influenced by what you all are doing. Well, that's so cool. Yes, I thought so too. So thank you so much for this interview. Thank you for, you know, sticking with us through all of this, everything that we've gone through. It was, it was well worth it, and I appreciate you for coming on the show. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate your having me. I'm honored to be on it. Thank you so much. And you guys, that is the end of this episode of Success on Demand. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. We had such a great conversation. And like Michelle said, if you have any questions for her, feel free to reach out to her through email or, you know, visit the website or jump in on Curl Talk. Just get some get some engagement going, especially if this is something that you are interested in. And if you want to check out this episode or more episodes of Success on Demand, you can follow us on iTunes as well as on Google Play or on dlake.com. And I'll catch you guys next time. Hello, I'm Michelle Breyer, and you've heard my story here on Success on Demand.